This episode of the Behind the Shield podcast is brought to you by 5.11 Tactical, a company that I've used for well over a decade, and they are offering you a 15% discount on every order. And I will tell you that code in just a moment, but I want to do another product highlight. And I can testify, as with the other ones, through personal experience. I wore a 5.11 uniform way back when I worked for Anaheim Fire in California, so we're talking 13 years ago, and I know for a fact that some of my brothers and sisters I work with still wear some of the clothes that they were given when I was hired there, so some of the job shirts, jackets, and this really kind of resonated with me because I realized so many of the departments I've worked at, there are men and women with lockers crammed with old, worn, frayed uniform. And that really represents wasted budget. So to have uniforms with durability means that you don't have to purchase them as often. Now you can apply that budget elsewhere. Another area they've really focused on is redesigning their women's first responder uniforms. I am a skinny six foot tall man and some of these uniforms I'm issued literally hang off me like a trash bag. And I can imagine it's even worse being a female first responder. So they have really taken that into account and redesigned the cuts so they're far more flattering to the female firefighter, first responder, medic, etc. On top of that, several departments I work for have gone from job shirts to polo shirts. 5.11 has those. And then to underline a product I've already talked about, they have the footwear. I wore the CST slip-on boot for a long time from 5.11. And now the Norris sneaker that you've heard me talk about is a lightweight duty boot that puts far less pressure on the ankles and knees, the back, etc. So as I mentioned before, they are offering you guys a continuous 15% discount. And all you have to do is use the code SHIELD at checkout at 511tactical.com. So once again, code SHIELD at 511tactical.com. Welcome, guys, to episode 297 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week we are doing another COVID-19 special, bringing back founder of Friends of Firefighters, the nonprofit that helps FDNY, Nancy Carbone. Now, from when I recorded the interview, it's now about two weeks later, so I've touched base with Nancy. You will hear her talking about some of her family members that had got COVID-19, I'm very happy to report that she says that they're all doing well. Her 90-year-old mother came out the other side and is doing well. And then some of her siblings and other family members are also doing well. So I want to put some positivity out there. We keep getting notified of everyone that doesn't make it. I think it's important that we talk about the people that do come out the other side as well. Um, another thing she talked about, though, which is new since our conversation, is that people in uh, FDNY, NYPD, the EMS side are being run ragged at the moment. They're sleeping in their vehicles. Um, I know some of the FDNY members are being taken back and put on ambulances. Um, and that is one of the things that concerns me as well. As we're taking these men and women that are obviously already somewhat compromised due to their regular shifts, regular work, and now and we're isolating some, saying they can't come to work. And obviously that is then left on the shoulders of the others who have to fill in the gap as well. So this was a great conversation with Nancy. She's got a very different perspective because she is slightly on the outside looking in at the men and women that she has fought for for so many years. We discussed a host of topics about what's going on now, about the fragility of some of the men and women still suffering from 9-11 cancer um, and many, many other areas. So I urge you to listen to this. I urge you to share this. 
As I always say, please take a moment, go to the podcast app, subscribe to the show, leave feedback and leave a rating. The five star ratings really do help make this more visible and then share. Obviously, there are so many people around the country, around the world who haven't been hit the way that New York is at the moment. So I think this is a good episode to prepare them for some of the challenges that they're seeing there right now. So with that being said, introduce to you for the second time, Nancy Carbone. Enjoy. Nancy, I want to start by saying thank you so much for coming back on. You're with us on episode 192. Obviously, uh, New York looked a little different than it does today. So firstly, thank you for taking the time amidst this this craziness to, to come on. Uh, thank you for asking me. I appreciate it. All right. So I guess we'll just jump straight in as far as what have you seen in New York City specifically, let's say the last four weeks. I have to say, it's just at the the start of it, I I have an unusual position this time because normally when something happens, I am in the thick of it and uh, I'm out in the field and it's knee deep. Uh, Now I'm not. I had to remove myself. So news-wise, I'm getting what you're getting. Um, Job-wise, I'm getting some, you know, it just, um, I think I get the news maybe a couple hours or even a day before it hits the the big news. Um, So what you're hearing is true. In fact, the numbers are growing um, exponentially. The streets are empty. My daughter is still there. Uh, But I'm setting up things remotely um, because our strength is identifying the need and then uh, going out and getting whatever it is that needs to be supplied, uh, whether it be man slash woman power or... uh, supplies or whatever and in this case we really needed to uh, take a week to try to gather our thoughts gather our supplies gather our our contacts and see how we could best serve the fdmy community um i am better doing that remotely uh, for a couple of reasons Uh, one is that this is a, a very contagious virus as we all know and the death rate is climbing and I think that I can serve uh, the organization and the firefighters better if I am removed and, and overseeing it here. Uh, two, um, our our normal services are not normal anymore. What we this is this is a strength of Friends of Firefighters is that we will morph into what is most needed for the community, and that was uh, seen. We started, as you know, nine uh, eleven. But then when Sandy hit, we were able to morph into a disaster response team. And we did great work. And we partnered with uh, people that helped us to reach a goal of helping many, many hundreds of families. And now this is a little different because this, uh, while while 9-11 impacted, uh, certainly impacted everyone psychologically, but physically and and, uh, the, the firefighters were down at the pile. Uh, the ones that survived, obviously, were, were, um, challenged with going forward and developing a new norm, uh, but their families were safe in their homes. Sandy, that flipped. They were not safe in their homes. They lost their homes. They lost their belongings. Now this is something even more extreme and um, bizarre in a way that no one can leave their homes. So they're on lockdown, but the first responders are not on lockdown. So they're going to the firehouses and of course, this is for all first responders, but I'll, I'll just address the firefighters. That's who we work with primarily. Uh, they're going to the firehouses and they're exposed. 
And then uh, there is a growing fear that they're going to bring the virus home. And I, I would even say something as bold as there's a growing likelihood that they will bring it home um, to their families. Now, we've got some families with um, underlying health issues that the firefighters can't go home. So that's that's a real challenge. So we'll, we're, we're working on how we can support that firefighter offsite so that they, they can't go home um, if they've been exposed or test positive, some, some positive themselves, if they're not being hospitalized, where do they go? So that's something that Friends of Firefighters is working on. And uh, I'm happy to say that that's something that we're actually working with the city on. Um, and then the other thing is supplies. Uh, do they have what they need? No, they don't. They don't. They're, they're running out of N95 masks very quickly, just like the hospitals and, and all the other first responders. They're, they're, uh, a mask is coveted and, and hard to find. Um, gloves are going to be an issue. Um, I don't have a count on when they're going to run out of gloves, but I do know that they're going to run out of masks this week, today being Friday, probably today or tomorrow. Uh, the, ha- the, the firehouses uh, have such a low supply. I've been told that there will be uh, gloves coming, uh, masks rather, coming in. Um, I was not told when or how, but we will be a drop-off center for gloves also. But, you know, of course, you know, you know that they have to be sterile. And uh, we have to make sure that we can reach all the houses. You can't just favor one house. It's got to go to all the houses. So we have a task uh, ahead of us in, in getting the supplies uh, to the houses. And, uh, and then third on my list is making sure that we have counseling. A few months back, uh, we decided to offer online counseling. I think it was a brilliant idea brought up by one of our counselors to be able to uh, eliminate the challenge of, getting to one of our offices. Um, And I think one of the things that impressed me most about the offer was that, uh, rather the idea of going online, is that um, it's HIPAA compliant, meaning that it is as confidential as it would be in our office. Uh, It can't be hacked. um, And it reaches a wider audience. So we have a firefighter who's suffering from 9-11 illnesses, and he's in Phoenix, but he's able to talk to us in New York and we're able to see them on the screen. So there's a choice whether they want to, it's similar to a a Skype or a FaceTime, but it's, um, or it can be a phone call. Um, The FaceTime is very, I don't mean FaceTime as a a platform. I mean the FaceTime, the time that you're looking at someone, the time that you're sharing, you're looking, your eyes are locking, very important. For, for talking about things. Um, so we try to encourage that, but understand if somebody doesn't want to or doesn't have the, the ability to do that. Um, all that said, we uh, are hiring counselors at this point. We need to hire more. So what I'm seeing is a spike that will only grow as the, uh, as the illnesses and the, as the virus spreads and the illnesses occur and unfortunately fatalities all this while they're still doing their jobs and answering fires and all the, the calls that they do. They've made some changes um, in regards. You know, they're asking that if you are sick, you, know, you have to get help. You know, we're, we're, and this is not just the firefighters. It's everyone that if you're, you're sick, stay home. If you're really sick, call your doctor. See if you can get FaceTime so that they can make an assessment to decide whether or not you go to the ER. Currently, uh, the city is setting up uh, college dorms for uh, offsite hospitals. They're setting up uh, larger areas. I don't know if you know the Jacob Javits Center, uh, the Brooklyn Cruise Terminal. 
so they're they're anticipating the massive numbers. We have what I consider to be massive numbers now. Uh, I'm sure everybody feels that way, but it's going to be even more so. On the brighter side, um, you, you really can't see many people on the street. They are staying in. Um, I'm upstate New York now, and uh, it's there's not the traffic that there normally is, but there's really never that much traffic here. Um, and there's a different perception that it's not going to hit us up here. Um, but I think that that's um, going to change as the numbers grow, unfortunately. Uh, it is already through the United States, so no one is is going to be uh, escaping this anytime soon. If you're if you're if you're exposed to it, um, they know so little about it. They know so little about immunity to it, uh, or or you know why one person will get through it without too much more than a flu-like symptom, and some people are on a respirator within 24 hours and die. So they don't know what that determining factor is. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, no, that was that was that was great. So, um, touching on the very first thing, so something that concerns me, you know, because obviously we understand that that you know the the level of immunity, the strength of the immune system is obviously a a key factor into the you know, the 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 impact of that virus on the individual. And uh, so, a groups of people that I am fully aware is the reason I started this project that have health challenges are first responders, you know, uh, resident doctors, these people that are working long, long hours all through the night whose immune systems are compromised. So what are you seeing as far as actual um, healthcare professionals and um, first responders actually being hit hard by this? Well, aside from them, from this, them themselves getting tested positive and getting sick, are you saying aside from that? Um, no, I'm saying the, the so so my worry is that the very men and women that we're relying on to perform during this are men and women whose many of whom's kind of working environment, work week, has actually set them up to be more susceptible to to a a greater reaction when they get the virus, a greater illness because their immune systems are beaten down. <laughs> Yes, they are, and and so, but they're they're repeatedly exposed to infected uh, infected victims. So uh, I think it was yesterday they were saying that 175 firefighters are in uh, quarantine because they were indeed exposed. 84 so far have contracted the virus that they know of, and one uh, fire marshal passed away, um, and he was a 9/11 responder. Um, I think that. Um, there are so many unknowns. First of all, we don't know who's carrying this, right? So you don't have any idea. There's no signs. There are people that are carrying it and they're not getting ill. A 15-year-old could be bringing it home. They're fine. You have no idea that they have it or not. So when you multiply that with the 10,000 firefighters and the almost 300 firehouses and the runs they go out every day and the people they do come in contact with, a car accident could very well turn into an exposure because of the rate of the growth, the, the, the transmission, rather, of, of this virus. Um, so, yeah, their job, which was always dangerous, is now a thousand times more dangerous. Um, and I think probably, from what I'm hearing repeatedly from different firefighters, their biggest fear is not contracting the virus, is it is transmitting it to their families. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, 
You mentioned about the suppliers as well. I did a great conversation with um, uh, uh, Dr. Kirk Parsley, who is a retired Navy SEAL who went to medical school, went back to the SEAL teams as their physician. Um, and, you know, it's been one of the reasons why I started this podcast, a great common sense mind. Um, and, you know, he talked about um, the the resources that we do have as a nation, especially through his military eyes that we are deploying and, and uh, a retired um NYPD officer Pat Russo I had on, I just spoke to him today, mentioned that you do have um, like a, a hospital ship heading towards you. So are you seeing some of these national resources being sent to New York? No, and I actually don't know why they would be because this is this is global. So I, I don't think Chicago, L.A., Boston – New Orleans, so they can't afford to let their materials come this way. So the, the fire department proper has contracts, right? And they and they contract a certain amount of supplies that they need for their job that is their usual load. When something like this happens and it's localized, like 9-11, the supplies come in from elsewhere, globally. They come from everywhere. And then, of course, they have to be gone through and, and deemed accessible, and then they go from there. In this instance, um, you know, it seems as though it's every state for themselves. And, and what we're not seeing is coordination on the federal level. And so I'm not going to get into politics at all, but I am going to say that's a, that's a different, that's a, that, that's a different um, lens to look through um, what is needed. It, you know, this, this, there are some states that are better prepared for it, although you're really never totally prepared for this. The numbers are staggering. I think New York handles disasters well. I don't think that anyone else does it less well. They just have their own training. You know, New York Fire Department has a lot of lot of experience. Um, but you can't materialize. You can't take it from someone else who may need it. And they may, they may be a week behind, two weeks behind. But it, it seems as though because of global travel, uh, you know, it's going to reach the far ends of, of you know, the farms of, of America. So no, I don't. I, there are donations coming in. Um, to be honest, I don't know yet what the origin is of all of it, and I don't know the amounts yet. I I, I should be finding out in the conference call later today uh, what what sorts of uh, things are being asked about being donated. But I'm getting calls from local auto shops that are saying I have N95 masks here, um, metal shops, uh, people that carry this and they've got the gloves. Um, and then they're dropping off four boxes where there's 10 in a box. And that's really wonderful that they're doing that. But that's not a drop in the bucket. So um, to answer your question, no, I think that um, we can't rely on the other states to support us at this time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know this was, was partly from some sort of stockpile. So it wasn't taking from other states. It was actually strategically placed warehouses, you know, to go wherever is needed. And obviously you guys are, are definitely one of the, the first places to deploy, but also, um, geographically, uh, with Manhattan, obviously specifically not having really the, the space to just start building field hospitals. It's interesting, you know, take the, they're actually taking, you know, hospital ships that, that they're going to basically moor onto the, to the harbor there. So at least, at least that's kind of what I'm seeing is mirroring what they did in China, which was, we need more ventilators. We need more hospital space. So they literally built hospitals. I have every confidence that New York will pull it together. 
What is disturbing is that with all their efforts and the efforts are real and they are there, uh, uh, timing, you know, if this had been set up two months ago, and to be honest, it couldn't be, who could anticipate that it would hit this level? I mean, I'm sure there were people that did, but how do you stop a school and say, get out because you're taking over your dormitories when there isn't a pandemic, right? So it had to happen for these extreme measures to be put in place, um, you know, the answer, the answer is they started out thinking that they were going to have a certain amount of beds and they, they had a plan on how they're going to rotate the beds at, at the hospitals. And they thought they'd have, you know, a person per stretcher per, per gurney and they're doubling up. I mean, it's really crazy. It's, it's, and it's, and it's to the detriment of our first uh, line of defense, which is our healthcare workers, our firefighters, police officers, EMTs, EMS, uh, you know, they, they're, they're all the, they're frankly the canaries in the mine. So um, they don't have the protection or if the hospital does have protection, it isn't adequate because they're supposed to dispose of masks after the use and they're using them sometimes a whole shift. So uh, they are absolutely in danger. My sister's a critical care nurse and I have, uh, I have four sisters, uh, three work in a hospital. Uh, one uh, has a child who, um, she's not a child, she's a grown woman who was giving a, a presentation in Japan in January. My sister got very, very ill at the end of January after she picked her daughter up and stayed with her. Um, but we thought it was the flu. And now my three sisters have tested positive. They're all working in hospitals. Uh, my mother is 90. She tested positive. Um, my brother is most likely going to test because he lives with my mother. So, you know, it, no one's getting away from this. Now, my frustration is I can't go to them. And that that's that's killing me. But what's that going to do? You know, that's like the, I, I can do more removed, but my heart is there. So I think um, I'm not alone in saying that I'm faced with this. I think I'm actually becoming the norm. And uh, to have families, you know, there was a family, I believe they were, I think they were Staten Island. And I, I'm sorry if it was New Jersey, I'm misspeaking. But they had a big Italian Sunday dinner. And uh, before a week was out, five of them died. So it's it's really catastrophic. And, uh, you know, you, how, how do you plan for this? New York plans for this all the time. The agencies in New York City plan for disaster all the time. And yes, they do plan for pandemic. They plan for chemical warfare. They plan for 9-11. They plan for all of this. So I do feel confident that they'll get it under control. I don't know how much of that will be. I know partially it'll be the efforts, of course, a big part of it. But it will run its course. But who knows if that's going to be another month or another year. We don't know that. How do we supply our first responders, the people on the front lines until this pandemic has passed. Um, I don't have the answer for that. I can only know that we get what supplies we can and we make sure that it gets to the firehouses. We are setting up the best we can for the firefighters to go somewhere when they are tested positive or someone that they had close contact with is tested positive. We don't know so much about this virus um, that you know, you you we, you it does, you don't let it paralyze you, but you know we look to the people in charge. Frankly, I'm looking to the, the medical uh, world to say, okay, this is what we've learned, and and this is your chance of you know of reinfection. I don't know if you can. Are you immune to it? Nobody can say with 100% certainty that you are immune to it. If you're immune to it after you have it, how long is the immunity? Is it for life? Is it for a year? You know, these are all unknowns. 
So that goes into planning. That goes into, okay, if we're dealing with an indefinite period of time and we need masks, you know, blank amount for one week for New York City Fire Department alone, and we're multiplying it now by weeks, months, possibly a year, and I'm saying that with no expertise, okay? I'm saying just, just throwing out... How do you then gauge? Well, then you've got to go back to factories that make it, and you've got to go to factories that don't make it. They make house coats, and now they're going to make masks. So it takes a, um, it takes a smarter person than me to figure out the, the answer. Yeah. Well, another thing that kind of seemed like common sense, as long as it, like you said, is backed up with science, um, Governor Kumo in, in New York was talking about rather than testing for yeah, you know, the actual virus testing for the antibodies. So people that have actually been through, had it, got over it, and now have that immunity to it. And again, like, I agree with you 100%. You have to make sure that was actually a thing. But that's an interesting take on it as well to start plugging people back into the workforce, especially us, especially the first responders, where you can say, all right, well, we know for a fact James is not going to get sick and he's not going to pass it on. That's a That's a very powerful tool. However, I don't know if that was just a concept thrown out. I have no idea if the science and, and logistics is there to actually put that in effect, you know, by the time we need it. Yeah, I, I think that the, the, the scientists that are looking at that, they are looking at it seriously. We don't have enough time to determine whether or not that they can have a case or a series of cases. You know, you do studies, right? They're blind studies. They're, they're done all the time. They take time. And this is so new that, you know, six months out of the gate, they can't tell you that there's an immunity. They can tell you right now, it seems that you're immune to it. But, I, you know, even that, the focus, I believe, is is rightfully so on identifying it and curing it, um, you know, or certainly inoculation, but they're not there yet. Um, Cuomo, I'm finding him to be a comfort because he's just giving us the facts. And that's really what you need in a leader is to say, here's exactly where we're standing there's no bullshit. This is what we're looking at. This is where we're coming from. Here it is where we are today. Um, very helpful. It's very helpful to have that direction and say, okay, now we know the realities of it, even if they're tough realities, even if we, he's saying the numbers we don't want to hear, we're 400 respirators, but we need 20,000. Okay. That's awful. That's awful. But there's a knowledge there. And so you can say, all right, that, that's what now the focus is. Let's, let's get those. So, and this is going to shift. You know, there are needs that come out of every disaster that do shift as the disaster, I want to say progress, as we progress on the ground, but sometimes it's going to digress. So the sicker and sicker the, the, the frontline people are getting, uh, the numbers are, are staggering. And, and, and what happens is we end up with the skeleton crews. And they are very vulnerable. They're very overworked. And that's a feasting ground for a virus like this. Exactly. Exactly. Well, another complete side effect. So like you said, you're seeing people following the quarantine rules and I'm seeing it here, you know, where I am and we're a different side. I spoke to a couple of friends that are in, in fire and EMS over the country, you know, outside of the Northeast and we're seeing, you know, what they term as there's a calm before the storm. Actually calls have gone down because everyone is, you know, behaving themselves and not going to the ER for just anything. Um, but. What I'm also worried about, and you and I discussed this, you know, last time, is is the the mental health element of isolation. So when 9/11 happened, you know, and, and there's all this this amazing uh, community of, of that day, and especially following days, you know, Sebastian Junger talks about this. You know, that that was that tribal element that was so healing, and there was an actual decline in in mental health emergencies during times like that well i'm worried now what the mental health toll is of this isolation 
Um, so what, what are you, you know, what are your theories of that? And then, and then we discussed before we started recording about solutions that you're doing in Friends of Firefighters. Yeah. Well, that is the isolation. Um, boy, did you hit the nail on the head. We have firefighters that before all of this happened were isolated for a number of reasons. Um, a lot of the firefighters from 9-11 have retired. Um, and, Nothing's more terrifying than hearing that the guy on the pile that was next to you passed away from cancer and the guy, you know, across from him is sick and, and waiting. And, but, but they, some of them don't have anyone that they live with and they pulled away from the firehouse because they're 70 now or 65 now and there's considered to them kids in the firehouse. They're men in the firehouse, women in the firehouse, uh, but they're much younger, 40 years younger sometimes. These people have always been on our radar because of the loneliness. What's happening now is absolute devastation. It's a forced loneliness. It's, it's, um, and this is a population that is used to getting up and fixing things. So the firefighters are faced with uh, going to work and, and, and exposing themselves to this virus, being home, and not really being able to relate. Um, you can relate on a level of, oh, this sucks. We're all sitting home. And, and maybe you can even get on, you know, one of the platforms like Zoom or something and, and hang out with your friends. But there's a very real loneliness when you're afraid that is not so easily shared. So to that end, what Friends of Firefighters is, we're utilizing the online um, that we set up a few months back because, What's important is that, you know, as I mentioned briefly, the eye contact, the knowledge that you're really not alone. It feels that way, but here we are, and uh, we're making it known to the members that that uh, we did not close. We closed our physical offices right away, um, but we did not close our services. So, uh, getting the word out so that when a firefighter is having a tough time, he or she can call and just say, "I, I need to talk to somebody. This is overwhelming." You know, there are also you know, there, there's a sense when you're alone, when you've gone through the job, like being an FDNY firefighter, and you've got some experience under your belt, uh, those really bad jobs haunt you. They haunt you. They come back. And those are the things that these guys really need their buddies to talk about what they saw, what they did. And, you know, that that's a tough one. When I, I did get a call, I won't divulge anything except to say that this person said most of the guys from the firehouse had passed on. And uh, that leaves somebody completely vulnerable, alone, and without a, a touchstone to to uh, to pull out of a depression. It's an extremely depressing uh, position to be in. So our our hope is that we can reach out to all of them, retired, retired and active, to say that we are here and uh, we're going to stay here. And if you need to chat, even just call up and say, you know. I just want to hear a voice. Uh, that's the phone call I got the other day. I just want to hear a voice. Um, one of the best things and one of the worst things, uh, maybe it's maybe it's the worst thing, sometimes a good thing, and then a worst thing again, TV. Um, if you're listening to the news, which is normally gloom and doom, and now it really is gloom and doom, uh, very depressing. It's very depressing. It's very hard to turn it off because it is riveting. And you're watching the numbers climb and it's scary and you can't go out. There's no movie. You can't distract yourself. You can't order. You can order food, but a lot of people are afraid to order Chinese food or drink Corona beer. And it's like, oh. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, it's crazy, but, but, but it's fear. It's yes. fear. So when somebody is afraid, it, it permeates every relationship that they have. 
And if they don't have any relationships, now's not a time to start one, unless it's with a counselor who can help you pull away from the depression, away from the TV a little bit. And then there are tools that you can give to someone that you you can help them. And number one is listening to them, just hearing their biggest fear and, and in some way calm them. You know, it's, 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 it depends on the person. It depends on the counselor, uh, what tools they bring to the call. But um, loneliness is, is, is a very frightening thing. And that ties in also with suicide. Um, this is a devastating fear when you're watching the numbers grow and you've got old ghosts and you're alone. And sometimes when you're not alone, if you're with your family and you just, you know, this is the first time you've been with them for three weeks straight and you just want to scream. Um, you know, there, there, there is my concern. My concern is that we're going to see people reach the end of their rope and say, okay, this is it. This is the end of the world, which I have heard as a joke too often for me to think that everybody means it as a joke. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I've seen, again, I touched on Sebastian Junger, his book Tribe was was absolutely pivotal in me understanding the power of, you know, your groups, whatever you're attached to. So now you look at, you know, what all, all, all walks of life, what they would normally attribute to their tribe, whether it's their mosque or their church or their CrossFit gym or their triathlon team, you know, whatever it is, they've all been taken away. And, and there's, like you said, there's some inventive, uh, ingenuitive ways of, of still interacting, whether it's over Skype, whether it's just going out. You know, not being right next to each other, but but going for a walk, going for a hike, whatever it is where you're not, you know, actually physically close to people. But I think if you're not identifying that and just wondering why you feel so weird, I I, I wish people could 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 realize that that they need that human experience. So the next best thing, like you said, is FaceTime or a phone call or, you know, or you know, meeting in a place where, you know, a park or whatever, where you're not right on top of each other, but getting, getting that and then getting outside. You don't have to actually live in your house. You can leave the house as long as you're not around other people. Um, yeah, yeah, in New York, you really shouldn't leave your house. If you have to go get food, go get food. If you have to walk the dog, walk the dog. Um, if you need to take a walk around the block to, to clear your head and you're going with yourself or someone that you've been in isolation with that's one thing but um you know it's 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 a call it's a call because because you don't have a physical identifying mark on you when you do get infected anybody you come in contact with if if, let's say you let's say you go into a store and you want to pick up uh, a soda right you go there you put your money down that money's contaminated you're touching the counter the counter's contaminated for up to 24 hours so staying home is, is really, truly the best thing. If you, People have to shop. Now, when I'm going and I'm doing my grocery shopping, I'm wearing gloves and I'm getting laughed at because I'm wearing a mask. I don't care. My, all my sisters have it. My mom has it. I, I don't care who laughs at me. I never did care who laughed at me. But the reality is uh, there are certain things. I got a call last night from a friend who uh, has a place that's on the water. And they have a bunch of picnic benches because it's a, it's a restaurant. And he had the grill going and he said, everybody can bring their own food. They can grill their own food. You have to use the utensils, you know, you're wearing the gloves, your own stuff. And then their picnic tables that are about eight feet apart from each other and go and sit, but yell over to your friend, how are you doing? How's your family? That contact was very important. And I didn't know I was missing it until I was there. And it was like, wow, this, this is fantastic. It's fresh air. It's seeing friends, you know, you need to make contact. And it lasted about 40 minutes and we all went home. And it was, it was great. It was really great. 
Yeah, so, exactly. That's what I mean. I mean, of course, you don't want to you don't want to be around other people, and, and New York is undoubtedly a different dynamic than most right. most of America. Yeah, I would not have done that in New York City. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, you got the rooftop areas, you got the external stairs, you know, the balcony, just something. Get 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 some some daylight on your face. Get, you know, get daylight on your face. It's important. It's very important. So my husband and I were taking walks uh, before the sun goes down. We go for a walk. And we made it a point. We don't go into places. We don't touch anything. We don't do, you know, anything. I keep the money, the change that I get. I keep it in the car. I decontaminate as I leave the car. I take my gloves off. I, you know, I'm doing the sanitizer. I come in the house. I wash up. I clean off the doorknob. And we've been here for a few weeks by ourselves. So I feel that this house is clean. However, all it takes is you get a piece of mail, you know, somebody drops off a box. If they are contaminated, the box is contaminated. So you have to either leave it outside for two days or you, you, you put the sanitizing liquid on it. There is a way to live with this. But when you're by yourself and you're faced with this, it's terrifying. It really is terrifying. And um, I just I would like for the firefighters to know that we're there for them and, and, and they can make appointments. We do have to hire more counselors. And to me, uh, that's usually a really good sign. You know, then we usually have a curve that tells us that's coming. So we hire, we interview, we get it ready. Uh, this is not a curve. It's shot right up and we are full. And uh, it doesn't matter that somebody calls. They're always going to be heard. So we'll make time. The hours will get extended. Nobody's going to be told, sorry, you're out of luck. We don't work that way. But we do have to find somebody a little bit faster. We do have a reserves of people to call. I don't know their availability, but the reality is we usually have it coming. We say, oh, okay, we can see that's coming. We better gear up for April 1st. Well, <laughs> no, we don't have that luxury. And I think that's job, that's citywide. Every, everybody doesn't have the luxury to get the numbers of materials that they need to where they need them to be in time to be effective. So right. Well, for your for your group that you you know take care of, how do people find you and reach out to you if they do want that want to get some counseling? Oh, if they want to get counseling, they do one of two things. You can go to the website. It's um, friendsoffirefighters.org and uh, or call. It's seven one eight six four three zero nine eight zero. Say hello to Marlo, and she'll make sure she sets it up. We want to make it as accessible as possible. And that may morph as days go forward. I am uh, not the tech person. In fact, I'm the opposite. So I, the only thing I can say with some, some knowledge is that uh, we will be setting up these programs uh, on a, a therapy line. It's a, a secure HIPAA compliant line. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to have rooms where you can go in and, and even have a group and, and chat. So we're not there yet, but we are looking at different ways to bring people together uh, without the threat of them being infected. Excellent. Okay. Well, the other other thing that you and I talked about um, in the previous episode was obviously the nine eleven cancer. Now, this is this is a worry because a lot of those men and women are now you know go, undergoing chemo, so or just very very fragile physically. So, you know, what are your concerns, or what are you seeing regarding those men and women? It's devastating. Um, we currently have uh, someone who's dear to us who is at Friends of Firefighters and runs downstairs. Uh, there are a few, actually, of the four volunteers that we have downstairs. Three of them do have cancer, um, and one of them is currently in the hospital with the virus. He tested positive. So it's terrifying, and they're just a small microcosm of what we're looking at job-wide because there were thousands and thousands of firefighters that answered the call, worked at the pile, worked at the pit. 
and are suffering from cancer. So yeah, they're extremely vulnerable and, um, you know, they, I don't have an answer for that. I just, it's sorrow, you know, I, I just hope that they're safe. Um, they're smart, they're home. You know, the ones that are getting chemo, they have to go for the chemo and that's a complication. Um, but uh, usually the ones that are going for chemo are driven by uh, fire family transport and they're wonderful and they take them there and they've got gloves and, and masks and, and, and then their mask supply, I'm sure, is dwindling. So they've got, they've got drivers taking them to their appointments and uh, as best they can, keeping them away from possible contamination. Good, good. Now, the uh, I think the last time we spoke, it was either about to pass or just pass with the the cancer bill. John Stewart that did his uh, you know passionate yeah. talk. What's well, any? John, I have to say, John Stewart supported John Feel. John Feel was the one that really, really led the march on that crusade, uh, and he didn't let any politician off the hook. John Stewart was very important to that cause, but John. Stewart had the celebrity to push it through. John Feel had the temerity to start it and see it through. So, you know, you can't say one name without saying the other. I'm just, I got to put that in there. No, please. Absolutely. So, um, you know, what's the next step from there? I know this, this, this latest thing has put a, a, a pause button on it, but I know that that was still not where they wanted to be financially. It wasn't. And now the difficult thing is, uh, you know, we're, we're all grownups here and we can see that you don't need a crystal ball to know that money is an issue. And more so now, um, my fear is that that pause is not going to be a pause, but a stop. And uh, if I know John Feel, he's not going to let that happen. So I, I, I only wish he could get some rest and say, OK, I'm done doing this fight. But um, but I don't think that that fight is over yet. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to do some uh, some wrap up questions so that we can kind of let you go. But before that, I just want to say thank you. It's it's very powerful to get a snapshot from what you guys are seeing because, as I mentioned, I think a lot of the country is still kind of hurry up and wait, and and so you, we've got us all showering in place, and it's actually um, reducing, you know, the calls and and what we're seeing. So it's it's very powerful to hear where it's already starting to propagate, so that we're not complacent as well. Um, so I think I asked you these, these last time, but I'll, I think it's been about a year or so. James, I just, I just want to step back because I, I want to be very careful about the word complacent. Um, while that can be assigned, I think here and there, um, when you don't have the supplies, it's not complacency. Um, and, and it's really important to know we didn't have the tests. We still don't have the tests. My sisters couldn't be tested for two weeks and they're extremely ill. So it's not about, let's just give it some time and see what happens. It's, we need it, we need it now and it's not coming. So there is a distinct difference. Yeah. No, what I was talking about more about us, the responders looking, not seeing the cases yet and therefore being, okay, we're good. You know, I'm just, just trying that i actually haven't seen that but okay yeah no that's what we're seeing i mean i, I mean we're, we're seeing an environment that could get people to see that i'm not saying that we are being complacent but i think it's important that we do hear from places that are now being affected within our own country just to prepare us um okay so the closing questions is there a book that you love to recommend it can be about what we've discussed or something else you always do this no <laughs> you know i'm gonna bore you again um and in fact it's it's I'm, I'm actually reading a book. Um, I have to get the title of it. It's not so much a book as it's a reference. It's it's actually on cars, so it doesn't really apply to anything. When I when I read privately, 
I don't want anything to do with the first responder world. I just want to read about cars and things that I'm interested in. So um, there, there's a, a reference book that I've been just earmarking every page almost. Um, and, and no, there's nothing, you know, and you're going to say movies. And I'm going to say I've been home watching these mini series of different things. And um, you know, one is one is Homeland and the other is Mrs. Maisel. And when I've had enough gunfire, I say, OK, give me some bad laughs. And you know, actually, there are some good laughs there. So it's um, I'm going to bore you again, James. I'm just not that exciting a person. <laughs> it's not boring. But so, so just to just verify, though, I remember last time when I asked what you do to decompress, you still work on cars? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been able to for two weeks, but um, I'm about to put a new steering wheel on my 83 pickup. So I have that. And that's the thing, you know, we talk about what people do during this time. The ones that work on cars are happy as can be. Nobody's telling them to stop. They have all the time in the world to do it. Maybe not all the money in the world to buy the parts, but, but that's a really good therapy if you're into it. Yeah. Well, I think that's another thing that needs to be highlighted. There are some very positive things about this. I mean, the financial side is obviously very, very worrying. It's happened even in my household here. But I mean, there, there is time with your family. There's time to take a step back and question if you still love the job that you've been doing for a long time. You know, there's so many pluses. So it's going to be interesting seeing that side as well. When this is gone, when the fear is gone, like what is that new, new norm? And, and some yeah. people's lives are probably going to be better after this. Well, I'd, I'd like to think so. Uh, some are going to be uh, irreversibly changed um, by losing family members. But uh, one thing that is a sure thing is if you look down from a satellite, the Earth is happy. But they're seeing, they're seeing like land for the first time. That have, you can see the fish. You can see the bottom of the, the Venice Canal. So that's, that's pretty cool. Oh, it is. Absolutely. And then the, the pollution graphics, you know, we can see over China when that happens. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's lessons learned. Don't worry about global warming. I've said this a lot. You know, people argue in California, like, oh, global warming's ridiculous. I mean, you can't even see a quarter of a mile in your own city. So why don't we work on that pollution first? Then we can worry about global warming. But Well, they're hand in hand, aren't they? Exactly. I think so. So it's not even worth arguing. But <laughs> for them, give them something <laughs> tangible to look at. Yeah, I don't think the argument is there. I think the argument is in denying that it's happening at all, pollution or global warming. And that there's an argument, you know, that's, yeah, it's happening. And now the proof is, if you look at the photographs, when, when, you know, I'm not saying that the icebergs are coming back, but I am saying that, uh, you know, it's undeniable. You can see it with your own eyes that, that there's growth where there hadn't been and there's no pollution where there had been. So that 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 is a plus. It's hard to pull out the pluses because we're really hurtled into this emergency situation now. Uh, my heart is going out to every nurse, every doctor, everyone involved, ambulance workers, geez, the EMS, EMT, um, firefighters, police officers. They are doggedly tired. And in New York, they're just, uh, and they know, you know, the numbers are growing of who's getting sick. Um, and uh, it is devastating. So while those other things are positive and we will look at them and we will cherish that, we're not there yet. Yeah, nah, well, really interesting to see. But I, ho I hope there are, you know, like I said, for people that weren't strongly affected, I hope they can glean 
positive lessons so that you know we all we all take something away from this but i agree i agree every everyone that loses someone obviously is going to be devastating yeah um well i normally ask you for a guest but we discussed that so we're, we're gonna <laughs> keep working on trying to get steve buscemi i think he would be amazing i know he's the most asked for person because this whole community adores him knowing you know the urban legend of what he actually did in in 9-11 and then obviously beyond with you guys yeah, and that's what makes him so wonderful. He doesn't really like to talk about that because he does not toot his own horn ever. Um, but uh, but he is a good soul, and he's a smart man and a good friend, and he really has been supportive of our organization for many years. So uh, I love him dearly. He's become a good friend. So we'll see. We'll see. Right now, you know, he, he just he lost his wife last year, and um, I don't really ask for a lot of things from him Um well, actually, lately I have, but uh, I try not to. But this is definitely ask him. Okay. Well, I just want to say thank you again. Let's, let's just go over the, the website one more time for people. So it's friendsoffirefighters.org. Org. Okay, fantastic. And I'll put that on the website again like we did last time. But Nancy, I just want to say thank you. It's been it's been great to hear your perspective. I think it's going to be very powerful for people in the rest of the country to hear this ahead of time. Um, and, you know, I... I hope that we can kind of reconvene on the other side and see what the effects really were positive and negative yeah i hope so too i wish everybody the best of health